0: Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. You know, there was uh, probably no greater moment As a young student, uh, then when we found out that we had an assembly that day, right, in the school auditorium. Because on the one hand, it was really nice to get out of class, especially certain classes that I didn't want to sit in. And, you know, sometimes an assembly meant that something fun was going to happen. But on the other hand, sometimes assemblies were just principals and vice principals yelling at us. Sometimes assemblies were outside professionals coming in to talk to us about really weird topics that we'd rather not talk about But still even in the awkward times it was a nice break not to have to do math homework for a moment But especially a few times a year when I was an elementary school student something really cool happened during that assembly time You see once a year a group of students from the middle school that our elementary school fed into would come and they would perform a a sneak preview, a sneak peek of that year's theater production. And it was always really, really well done. And it always left an impression on us young, impressionable elementary schoolers about what middle school was like. Most of all, we thought that it was just the coolest— And we would always dream about, you know, what it was going to look like when we got to middle school in Weechel in the play. And well, eventually, as you have come to understand, I'm sure, we grew up and we were middle schoolers. What you have to know is uh, that my middle school and my school district that I grew up in uh, were heavily invested in the arts. And we were an older than typical middle school population. We, we spanned 7th through ninth grade. and So by the time we reached kind of like the top of the school food chain, there was actually some real talent going on among us. Like for example, as, as an 8th grader, I had the opportunity to fly to California to play uh, music at a jazz convention with uh, my jazz band. Not normal stuff that 8th graders get to do, right? seriously invested. But my particular middle school uh, was known for having the the best theater productions each year. And so that meant that if that was what we were famous for, then acquiring the leading role basically propelled someone to like the top of the social structure of the school and almost like local fame within our small suburban communities. These productions and their their leading lady or leading man were held in incredibly high regard, both uh, within the school and within the community at large, which netted uh, sold out nights for the entire running of the show each spring. And so it was a really special thing that once a year, one of our assemblies as middle schoolers was uh, a a student's only showing of the play in its entirety. Functioned kind of as a dress rehearsal for the play uh, actors and as a special treat for us. And so in seventh grade, the first time that I experienced the play in its entirety, I was blown away. My mind, like, exploded because what I had always seen was just the stripped-down, traveling version of it as an elementary school student. And so, here's the thing. I wasn't an actor. I didn't see myself as trying out for the play, and so I had always pushed it off as something I would never really be involved in. The thought of... Getting up in front of a bunch of people and speaking or singing turned my stomach, which is kind of ironic, right? But in my second year, when I was, at, when I was an eighth grader, I got the call to be a part of the production. I got the call to play in the pit band. And so this was an original production that they were putting on. It was called uh, Max. Meyer, And it was actually written by our ninth grade English teacher and the music was scored by my band director. And so for a few months, every single day after school, we gathered and piece by piece, song by song, we put on arguably the best production ever put on by a public middle school and I'm not partial at all. But what I learned through that experience of day in and day out being a part of this production was that there was a lot more to putting on a play than having a really good leading lady. And don't get me wrong, the girl who played Max Meyer, the the main character, was phenomenal. She She was great, but behind her was an entire supporting cast. And behind the supporting cast was a shooter who choreographed the dances and taught all of the harmonies. And behind that was the band, me, playing the music that went along with and accompanied the songs. Behind that was the guy who wrote the score. Behind that, even farther, all the way in the back of the room was the person on the soundboard, making sure all the levels were right, and the person on the lights, making sure that those in the audience could see what was happening. And way behind all that was all the people who built and, and put the sets together, who got everything into its right place, made sure that all these middle schoolers who have thousands of squirrels running around through their heads were in the right place at the right time to make sure that this thing was perfect. All of these people were talented. All of these people were gifted. And without all of these people, this wonderfully talented Leading lady was just a girl on a stage talking and singing. But all together, this was an incredible moving production. And this was probably the most highly involved thing I was ever a part of until I got into ministry and I started working in this glorious thing that we call the church. And the church, it turns out, is not so much different. You know, we don't call what we do a production. But behind every pastor, no matter how talented they are, is an entire cast of incredibly gifted people who actually make the church possible. And so as we continue our, our series called Salutations, where we examine some of the ways that Paul says hello to churches throughout the, uh, the ancient world, we're really digging into what Paul says about who we are, who the church is, and who we are called to become. And so today we're going to move on from Rome, where we were last week, and we're going to go uh, into Greece to a, a town called Corinth. Now, Corinth is a, a really fascinating case study and a, a place that I wish uh, today we had some more time to talk about, but there will be time in the future, I'm sure. But in short, uh, Corinth was like a super important place throughout the Roman Empire. Particularly, it was, it was important for, for trade and uh, for the economic uh, stability of the Roman Empire so there's a lot happening here because uh, with trade, there's uh, this booming cultural uh, situation that's happening with people coming and going. And and so uh, you can see on the screen some pictures. Uh, It doesn't look like much today, uh, but it's still a really well-preserved ancient site. It's a really cool place. These pictures don't really matter to this sermon, but I just wanted to show you that it's a real place and that I went there. Okay, so there you go. But this is a, a church that was planted uh, by Paul. And what we're going to see here when we, when we read the opening of this letter is um, kind of a different tone than uh, we saw last week in his introduction to the Romans. It's kind of a different emphasis. And so um, we'll just check it out. Uh, and this is how it begins. This is 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. And I'm just going to stop right there for a minute. So we've got our main players, right? We've got Paul, the guy that, as we expect, wrote all of these letters. But also, we've got this guy named Sosthenes. And so, so what Paul is actually saying is, hey hey, I'm here, I'm here with Sosthenes, and Sosthenes was a rabbi of the Jewish community in Corinth when Paul originally went there to plant the church, and you can read about that in the book of Acts. And so, so what Paul is saying is he's like, hey, I'm here, but also everything that I'm about to say is backed up by Sosthenes. you know this former respected member of your community. So, so what I'm saying isn't just me spouting off my opinion. It's it's a consensus between myself and someone whom you respect. And this is pretty important because um, Corinth is it's it's a mess. Okay. Uh, and Paul's got a lot of issues that he's going to deal with amongst these people. So, so this is kind of the setup. He's like, he's like, hey, me and my friend, uh, we are here to tell you some truths that maybe you don't want to hear, but you should listen. And so uh, he goes on and he says this. He says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with All those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just kind of want to camp out for a little bit here because verse 2 is is actually super loaded uh, with language that, kind of like last week we talked about, is normal for us who go to church all the time and say these words. And, and the, the two words that I want to really look at, uh, that we say a lot, that we might not really truly understand, are, are sanctified and saints. And these two words seem very different in English, but in Greek, which is the language that Paul uh, wrote in, they actually have the, the same root word. They, they mean the same thing. And what they mean is holy ones. And so sanctified means those who have been made holy. Or maybe a better way of thinking about it is sanctified, right? And saints just means holy ones. It's like two different ways of saying the very same thing. And what's important about this is that we often separate ourselves from the word saints. Because we think of saints as like this special class of, of old church people who have died long ago from the past, right? We think of um, St. Patrick or, or St. Anthony. But to Paul and to God, all Christians are Saints, Past, present, future. And so Paul's letter is addressed to every single Christian in Corinth. And this is important because this is an identity-shaping statement to call them saints. He's helping them to understand their their standing before God. What he's saying is like, hey, friends— you are holy. And holy means set apart, different from the rest of the world. And for those uh, Christians in Corinth who knew the, the Hebrew Bible well, which is just the Old Testament, either, either Jewish Christians or uh, what they called God-fearers, who were Gentile persons who uh, worshipped the God of Israel— these words would land a little bit differently in the way that was written in the book of the law, specifically in the book of Leviticus, everyone's favorite part of the Bible, right? You guys read that every day? Yeah. But when we open up the book of Leviticus to chapter uh, 19, verse 1, we get these words that really shape the whole point of God giving this list of laws to the Israelites— That They were uh, called to follow and so this is uh, what God says. It says the Lord spoke to Moses saying Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them You shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy And this is really important because Paul is calling everyone in the community of Corinth a part of God's covenant community Greeks And Jews alike. And these are are different groups of people, and they are now united and set apart from the rest of the world through their faith in Jesus Christ. Just like Israel was set apart and called God's treasured possession throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, now the church also assumes this role, and this role comes with a purpose in the world. See, we often forget that that Israel was meant to be a model of God's ethical will for humanity. They were thrust into the center of the the known world at the time, and they were meant to stand there as a beacon of light within the darkness of the ancient world. And the church's purpose is the same. Then, 2,000 years ago, when Paul was writing— and now, and so with that purpose in mind, and that identity in mind, that also applies to us. Let's move on and see what else Paul has to say. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him. And speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is kind of the meat of what Paul is trying to impress upon the people in Corinth. You see, not only is their identity found in their sainthood, their being set apart and and being holy, but they are a people who have been gifted by God. In our English Bibles say uh, grace, but this is a word in Greek that has the uh, same—it's the same word as the word that we use for gifts— And so the connection between these two things, between grace and gifts, is going to be very, very important. And we typically, as Christians, we talk a lot about grace. And what is foundational for us to understand is that grace is something that we do not earn. Grace is something that is free for us. And so so what Paul is really saying here is, is, hey, guys, God has given all of you a gift. Through Jesus Christ. And yes, as you can expect, Paul is definitely talking about the gift of salvation. But that's not all that Paul is talking about. And we know that that's not all that Paul is talking about because he keeps on writing. And so think to yourselves what you might stereotypically assign as being the epitome of ancient Greek culture. What was important to ancient Greeks other than like war and the Olympics, right? You might be thinking philosophy. Some of our most famous philosophers came out of ancient Greece, right? Plato and Aristotle. The Greeks loved philosophy and they particularly loved the art of rhetoric, which is the art of arguing your philosophical knowledge over and above the philosophical knowledge of the guy on the next street corner who's also doing the same thing. Also known as speech and knowledge. And so what Paul is saying here is like, hey, I know that you guys really love this stuff. It's what you live for. And you've imported this idea of arguing special knowledge and and arguing rhetoric uh, throughout uh, the the community of the church. But what I need you to understand is that God is the one who has gifted you with the ability to speak. God is the one who has gifted you with this special knowledge that you are using. This is a gift— not something that is gained through human striving, just like the testimony or the work of Christ that is being strengthened among you is not something that you are particularly responsible for. And this is actually going to be like really, really important because this giftedness that the Corinthian church experiences is actually the source of their problems, which Paul is going to address throughout the larger context of the letter of 1 Corinthians, which I know you're all going to go home and read right after this, so you can figure it out what I'm talking about. You see, although Paul is being very kind in his tone with them up until this point, we, we have got to understand that Paul's letter to the people of Corinth is not coming to them because they're like super good at being Christians, or they're like a really, really functional church. Actually, they're pretty terrible. And Paul's main emphasis in this letter is going to deal with healing the division that is growing between the people, mostly regarding their gifts. Like any good human, they have used what God has given to them to sow seeds of conflict. So we're grateful that this never happens in the church today, especially the broader church, right? Right? That's like C thing with sarcasm, because we do this today as well. The reality is that that Corinth finds themselves in the midst of a time-honored church tradition, fighting. And so by reminding the the members of the church in Corinth— of the source of their gifts, of their knowledge, of their understanding, the source of their ability to speak with with elegance, the source of their musical capabilities or their financial savvy or their community connections. He's reminding them that their gifts are meant for a higher purpose. And that purpose is for the strengthening of the community of God's people, of God's set-apart holy treasured possession, who have the purpose of modeling God's ethic and will in the midst of a world filled with darkness. Does it sound familiar? So that's kind of the first major goal of Paul's opening statement. It's to, to center their focus on the source of their gifts. And his second goal here is to remind them of the end game in all of this. And so he goes on. He says, He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. For God is faithful, and by him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says, Okay, so you're gifted now. For the purpose uh, uh, of Christ's testimony in the world. To be a beacon of light in this world now. But also so that you might continue to be strengthened all the way to the very end of all things when Jesus returns. What Paul is driving at here is that being the church is not meant to only focus on the present. We're meant to focus on the future, whether or not that future includes us. He's saying, focus on using your gifts now in a way that strengthens the community for however long we are waiting for Christ's ultimate revelation, which has turned out to be quite a long time. You know, what I love about Paul's letters is that they still speak to the condition of our churches today, 2,000 years later. They speak to the human condition, which, regardless of all the progress around us that we have made, seems to always remain the same. You know, all around us in this world, churches are gripped in conflict. We we live in the age of the megachurch, And more and more and more, the the human failings of our institutions are being put on display thanks to the speed at which information travels and the internet. Typically, these failings are the side effects of the human ego. The the larger-than-life personalities that are often driving these conflicts— And the deterioration of the church's public image and the name of Jesus in this world are leaders of our local churches. Pastors who receive just a small moniker of fame on the internet. Leaders within denominations who engage in or cover up abuse Musical groups who forget that their primary purpose is to bring glory and honor to God through worship. And all of these modern examples show the pervasiveness of this problem in our world. And I I think that a big part of this phenomena is that we have forgotten to right-size people. We have forgotten that the church... Is not dependent solely on whoever we assume is playing the leading role. You know, much like my experience with middle school theater, the church relies on the giftings of every single person who calls themselves a member. And so, yes, I I get up here and, and I preach, but this church did ministry long before I got here, and this church, I'm going to make sure will do ministry for a long time after I'm gone. Before and after every staff member, before and every after every choir member, before and after every band member, before and after every committee member that is represented here in this church today was a church that did ministry and a church that will continue to do ministry in the future. And that is because... We church are an assembly of gifts, an assembly of gifted persons who when working together for the kingdom of God are capable of extraordinary things. And I am I am proud of the way that that this church has embraced that for the past several seasons. I'm proud of the ways that we are on mission in our community, for the ways that that we feed our siblings and reach out to those in our world with kindness. I'm proud of the ways that the committees and teams of this church work together to ensure that, that this church is and continues to be a vital and pervasive witness of Jesus in Fort Pierce. So normally this would be the part where, uh, you know, I complain about all the messes that I've been finding around here over the past few weeks. I complain about the conflict within our community, but either you guys are really, really good at hiding it or you're really, really good at resolving it because I haven't sensed any serious Tension, any unhealed wounds amongst us. And that's a really, really good thing. It means that we are really right-sized, at least for now. But just in case you really are good at hiding it, or in case there's conflict in your lives outside of the church that maybe you need some wisdom in navigating, I'm going to give you uh, some unsolicited, unwanted, and maybe unwarranted advice. (laughs) There's a really incredible book floating around out there in the world uh, put out by the Harbinger Institute called The Anatomy of Peace. And what it basically describes is how to move from having a heart at war to having a heart at peace. And my practice for a number of years has been to, to take a moment, especially when I'm getting upset or when I'm already upset, and to ask myself, what's the source of this? Where is my heart at war? What would it take for me to have a heart at peace with this situation, with this institution, or with this person? And a lot of times what it would take for me to have a heart at peace is to recognize that these are people, these are institutions that God has gifted, especially when my gripe is with the church itself. What I need to do is to try and see how this person or this institution is using what God has given to them to ensure that that we together are able to live into our identity as a community set apart and called to be witnesses of God to this world. And I'm telling you that, that being a positive witness of God to this world comes from being at peace Amongst ourselves. Because the world outside of the church is filled with conflict. And if our churches are filled with it as well, then what do we really have to offer that's different? Because we can be an assembly of gifted persons who squander our gifts by acting like the rest of the world, or we can be an assembly of gifted persons who are an unstoppable force for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. And it starts with recognizing that God is the giver of our gifts, and by allowing the peace of Christ to govern our hearts. If we do these two things regularly, we will become and we will remain the community that God has called us to be. A community of love that offers peace to a world that desperately, desperately longs for it. Will you pray with me? God, we love you, and we recognize that you are the source of our gifts, that you are the source of peace both in our world and in our hearts. It's no small coincidence that we call you the Prince of Peace. And So we ask you to come and reign in our hearts as Prince, as royalty, as Lord as the one whom we follow, the one whose likeness we seek to bring to our world. Help us to solve and, and heal any division among us so that we might use our gifts to the best of our ability to be the people that you have called us to be. A church that is thriving, a church that is loving, and a church that is filled with with the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, help us to think less of ourselves and more about our community. Help us to use the gifts that you have given to us so that the name of Jesus might be heard in every single area of this town that thinks that Jesus has left them. For God, we know that you are everywhere. That all people are your children. That you long desperately for them to come home. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.